This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting and Sales EQ, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. Here's what we know to be true. The more conversations you have with potential buyers, the more deals you'll close. It's just that simple. The problem is it takes a lot of time and effort just to have those conversations. You dial and dial and dial, leave voicemail, leave voicemail, leave voicemail, get all kinds of gatekeepers, and you do everything except for have the conversation with the decision maker that you want to talk to. Now imagine a world where you skipped over voicemail and you skipped over the dialing and you skipped over the gatekeepers and you went right to the prospect. That's the world that we live in with our secret weapon, Connect and Sell. Connect and Sell gives you an instant advantage over your competitors because while they spend their time dialing, you spend your time connecting. In fact, Connect and Sell will get you 8 to 10 times more conversations than traditional means of prospecting. So here's what I want you to do right now. If you're a sales representative, go to your leader and get them to go to Connect and Sell and do a demo. It's really simple and it's free. And if you are an owner or an entrepreneur or a leader or an executive, you go right now to Connect and Sell and request a demo. And make sure that you tell them that I sent you. That's connectandsell.com, connectandsell.com for a free demo. The fourth quarter is make or break time for most salespeople and their leaders. It's your opportunity to make your quota, to make your bonus, and to make President's Club. If you manage it well, it will also set you up for success in the new year. But if you manage it poorly, it's a mistake that you'll be paying for all the way into March or April. On this episode of Sales Gravy, I welcome author Carson Hattie. And we discuss the three types of salespeople you meet in the fourth quarter and strategies for ending your year strong. Hi, this is Jeff Blood, and welcome to another episode of Sales Masters. And I've got Carson Heady on the show today. He's fantastic. He just wrote a brand new book, and he's going to tell you a little bit about that and a little bit more about himself. He's got a cool job at a big company, and he's also an expert who helps salespeople close more and bigger deals. Carson, welcome to Sales Masters. Thank you, Jeb. I appreciate that, Carson Hetty. Um, I am with a big company named Microsoft currently. I've had a lot of time in sales and sales leadership and, um, you know, just really excited to uh, be here today. It's an absolute honor, uh, not only to uh, get the opportunity to talk with Jeb, but uh, also to be part of this program. Uh, I did, I'm guilty as charged. I wrote a sales book, Birth of a Salesman, a few years back, and I have two new ones out, uh, one named A Salesman Against the World, and then my most recent one came out last year, A Salesman Forever. So, love writing and uh, love talking about sales. So uh, excited to be here with uh, Jeb Blunt, the CEO of Sales Gravy, and I'd love to hear more about him as well. Well, let's start off with the fact that I'm from the South and that's why I pronounced your name wrong because, you know, I've been working on it all day long and it's heady, not heady. So for That's right. It's a synonym for intelligence. So that's what I always try to tell people. So even if they get a bad impression of me, they still think that when they hear my name. 
love, that's fantastic. And yeah. I, I love the name of the book, Salesman Against the World, because sometimes, honestly, that's how I feel. I feel like I'm, 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 I'm pushing everything against the world just to get people to pay attention to me and to listen to my message. And thank you for the introduction. Yes, I'm the CEO of salesgravy.com and also the author of this brand new book right behind me, Sales EQ. And you can go pick that up uh, anywhere that books are sold. But Carson, let's jump right into the thing that's on a lot of people's minds right now. And it's fourth quarter. So if we were in, you know, in sports, we'd be holding our hands up number four, number four, but you got three months to pull it out. And I'm curious what you feel are the things that salespeople and their leaders should be doing right now to make sure that they don't screw up and burn this quarter. And on December 31st, be looking backwards saying, I wish, or I should have. It's a great topic. And, you know, I think uh, I love the sports analogy, too, because, uh, you know, right now is a time of year where, you know, the pressure's on a little bit. You've got kind of a heightened sense of awareness uh, around all of the sales plays that you're employing. So um, but I think the, the biggest answer to your question is don't change much. You know, it's really around consistency. Um, so be consistent to process and make sure you're harking back to, um, you know, tried and true methods of, uh, of how you've been successful in the past. But um, a lot of it comes down to prioritization of leads. You know, your customers are at buying cycles now as well. A lot of them are at end of year, so uh, they may have tapped their budget. So great, get on their calendar to talk to them first thing about uh, the budget that they're going to be allocating for next year. Furthermore, a lot of them have budget left over. So be sure you're finding that. Ideally, you're pretty plugged in with your clients and you know kind of where they are in those buying cycles when their fiscal years begin and end because a lot of them may not be uh, parallel to yours. So uh, they may be in prime selling time. Um, so I think the key piece is, you know, looking back, you know, the tone is absolutely different uh, from the rest of the year because it is that uh, that buzzer beater end of quarter time. Um, but uh, your process should not be overly different. Really regularly calibrate with your top spenders, um, you know, kind of go back to the well, uh, look at the top opportunities, you know, don't get caught up in the fray and some of these smaller uh, things that you may have been chasing for a long time and don't necessarily chase whales unless you really know you're going to land one. Uh, um, really be calibrated with your top spenders, figuring out, making sure that their needs are being met and see if there is an opportunity here to squeak out. Maybe you've got some new products that you're offering. Maybe you've got some uh, end of year promotions. And while I hate to advocate selling on discounts and deals, um, it is a great time to rekindle some of those conversations. And I think the last part of that is diversification of your portfolio. Uh, you know, talk to all of these folks, talk to previous customers, but don't be afraid to uh, plant some seeds for future business. Don't be afraid to do some, uh, do some new prospecting, uh, do some additional outreach to folks maybe that you haven't heard from before, uh, because you never know what messaging might land right with those guys and start those conversations. And don't be 100% don't be focused necessarily on this quarter. Sure, you want to finish this quarter Quarter strong, but you've got to also be planting seeds for Q1 of 2018 uh, because ideally you're still going to be uh, wanting to close business in 2018 as well. So you want to make sure you're planting those seeds. And if you get into that rhythm and have that cycle, uh, I, I, I feel strongly that you'll be very successful. So don't necessarily focus solely on what you're going to close this quarter. But I'd love to know your thoughts, Jeb. Well, that's, you know, there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. And one place that I point my clients this time of the year, now this doesn't work if you sell to large companies or you are in big enterprise plays, but, but most salespeople in some form or another are selling to businesses that are owned or private. And typically those businesses are owned by one or a group of people. 
And those folks, especially this year, because the economy has been steaming ahead pretty good, they've got a lot of cash sitting around and they can either give that cash to you or they can give that cash to Uncle Sam. So one of the places that you can focus your time and attention from a prospecting standpoint is take a look at the businesses that need to accelerate spend in order to reduce their tax burden for the year. Also, something that you said there that I think is incredibly important is that you've got to focus on the basics. There are things that brought you to the dance. If you're having a good year, don't quit doing the things that got you here. I had an opportunity to listen to John Smoltz tell a, a story once during a, a speech that he gave, and he was talking about people who end up getting into slumps when they get into the back half of the season. And that's because they quit doing the stuff that they were supposed to be doing this, but they stopped getting doing the basics or they got away from the basics. So focus on that. And then finally, I think focusing on January, and this is where for me, I'm spending time with my clients right now advising them, is November and December need to be hot prospecting months. Yes, you gotta you gotta close out the quarter. Yes, you got a lot of pressure to end the year. Yes, you gotta hit your numbers and hit your budget because your organization is pushing you to do that. But sales leaders, you must not allow your team to take their focus off of the first quarter of 2018. The first quarter of next year is going to be a big quarter, and there's going to be a lot of expectations for you. And if you stop prospecting in November and December, you're going to blow up your pipeline in January and February, and then you get into that vicious circle in March when you're completely under pressure and underwater, and selling is not very much fun. The way I see it is at this point in time, you're probably in one of two buckets, maybe three. You've blown out your number for the year and you're probably thinking about sandbagging deals for next year. You're right there and you need a few deals here and there to kind of make sure you cement the deal for this year or you're playing catch up and you need to uh, do some Hail Mary passes. There's another one of those sports analogies, but uh, to make sure that you get there. But I love what you said about the fundamentals and kind of the hustle stats, because I think that's one thing that we overlook. It is so easy to get into a slump. And the only time you get into slump is when you change some of those mechanics and to get back into a good golf swing or a good batting stance, you don't drastically change what you're doing or what you did. You actually try to recapture what you were doing at your, at your finest moments. Um, so I think the key piece to this is absolutely continue to focus on some of your top priorities, but look at where you feel, you know, you're going back to the well and you're looking at some of these clients where you think you can get some additional revenue for this quarter. I'm all for that. And look at some additional sales plays that you might be able to go to. There's a lot of these accounts where maybe we've been banging our head all year around, you know, well, they're, they're not interested in this metric or they're not interested in this metric, you know, trying a fresh approach uh, and finding ways to stay top of mind because, you know, your fourth quarter results are really a conglomeration of what you did in Q1, Q2, Q3 from a go-to-market standpoint. Uh, you've got to plant the seeds all year in order to make sure you've got the right pipeline in Q4 and also that right mentality. And from a sales leadership standpoint, exactly. I mean, the key piece is keeping our folks focused on that prize and on making sure that they are looking and doing, doing the fundamentals on a daily basis. Uh, I mean, really, it's our, as a sales leader, your biggest goal is really removing a lot of the obstacles to success. And I think in Q4, a lot of our obstacles is our own mind. Um, you know, we may, you know, we may have sales reps that, uh, you know, take their head out of the game for whatever reason, lose focus. And I think that's the key piece is helping them see uh, every day, every transaction, making sure we're bringing our A game and getting everything we can out of it. Can we close something this quarter? Great. If not, let's plant the seed for the future and make sure we're continuing to take the steps forward uh, to convert these deals. So 
excellent point. Do you think there's any particular uh, things that uh, sales folks are overlooking this time of year? A couple of things that salespeople are not paying attention to this time of year is that there's basically three weeks that you're going to lose in this quarter. You've got Thanksgiving week, Christmas week, and New Year's week. And I find that a lot of salespeople don't realize that they're going to lose the week until like the Friday before they're about to lose the week. Yeah. So I think right now in October, you've got to think about how you're going to make up for the activity in those weeks. Those aren't free weeks. You have a, a, a quota that's a 52-week quota. And you got to hit it in this, in this quarter in 10 weeks. So right now you should be thinking about what are you going to be doing to get ahead of those weeks. And this is also a time when a lot of salespeople take vacation. Back when I was a VP of sales for a really big company, you know, Christmas and New Year's, I was telling my sales managers, get everybody on vacation. I wanted to get as many people out as I possibly can because the last thing I want to do is pay someone to sit in the office during December or the last two weeks of December when not a lot of stuff is happening. But I, that's, those are the things I think you've got to really be focusing on. And like you said, I think you've got to be focusing on who you're targeting this time of year, where you're going, and what well you're going to be dipping into. But I've got a, a question for you because you, you said there's, you know, there's three buckets of people, and I, that's, that's a really cool way of looking at it. And honestly, I haven't heard anybody say it quite like the way you just said that. So let's talk about the sandbaggers. So these are the, the folks, the salespeople who have they've, – they've booked their quota – and right now, it's a pretty easy time to go to sleep. And of course, sales managers are banging their heads against the brick wall because you've hit your quota, but there's four people on the team that have not hit their quota and they want you to sell more. And of course, if you're one of those people, you know that if you go in and you blow it out, you're going to get a much bigger quota next year. So it's in your best interest to hold back a little bit. So if you're a sandbagger, Carson, what should you be doing right now to avoid basically checking out for the next three to four months and, and, then, and then, in fact, losing the first quarter of the year? If you're going to be sandbagging deals, how should you focus on your pipeline? Well, I think you hit on that earlier, Jeb. I think a lot of it comes down to the prospecting. Now is a great time of year to be prospecting because let's face it, for a lot of our targets, you know, their years may be winding down. They might be a lot more receptive conceivably to some of the, at least the initial sales message or, you know, when you're doing prospecting and you're just trying to set a meeting or just have a casual conversation or what we like to call a, a no-sell meeting where you're really going out and just getting a good feel for their business, making that connection or that contact and getting a good understanding of kind of where their budget stands, if there's, you know, what their outlook is, and 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 if you if you have a strategic fit, um, so you know, and again, there are there are sandbaggers everywhere. I've employed a ton of them. I won't confess here to ever having been one, but um, you know, I think the key piece is that you're always prospecting and you're always planting seed for future success. And you're going to have no matter what, if you've done well this year, you're going to have a big quota next year. So you've got to be mindful of that and continuing to move toward that. Now, here's the other piece to that too. You've got to look at your own personal goals too. Are you looking to move up? Are you looking to win some year-end trip? Um, you know, some of these year-end deals could make a big impact on some of those additional goals. So obviously you want to take a step back, look at the, the larger sum of the parts, and does it make sense to squeak through some of these deals this month? Absolutely. You also don't want to be, you know, don't want your trepidation in closing a deal to push off any of your customers' needs. Um, you know, obviously want the customers' needs to dictate what you're doing. So I think a lot of times, especially seasoned professionals, can make a good judgment call from that vantage point. But if there's ever any question always there on the side of the customer. If it's something that can break ground in January, uh, you know, 
definitely worth looking at. And I think sometimes too, I mean, sales leaders, good ones, understand that plight as well. If you've got a good relationship and a dynamic with your sales leader, I don't have a problem with having a, having that conversation and saying, yeah, you know, I understand where my sales rep's coming from. And uh, look, I, I really want you to close this deal this month, but you know, this one you can do in January. So I think a lot of it comes down to that. And one of the things that I always did as a sales leader, when I had people who were, we'll call them sandbagging, but they were my best reps and they were getting way ahead is that in the back half of the year, what I would typically do is pair them with one of my greener reps or with a rep that needed help and give them some extra work coaching because, and, and I don't take this the wrong way, but I've just always found that with idle hands and with, with good salespeople, bad things happen. So if I can keep them busy, keep them working, keep them adding value, they feel good and they don't go to sleep. And sometimes when they're working with a, a rep that needs help, uh, it actually makes them feel a lot better and more confident. And it shows them some holes in their system that they need to be plugging. So tell me about the rep that is right on the bubble. So you're entering fourth quarter. It's October 1st. It could be it's a president's club meeting that, that you have an opportunity to get to. It could be that there's a big bonus that if you get, if you can just squeeze another one in. And one of the things, Carson, I want you to address in this case is how desperation, how, you know, mm -hmm. pushing to get over that bubble can, can hurt you. But what should those folks be doing? You know, we talked about this earlier, Jeb. I think the key piece to this is, you know, looking at the the tried and true process, not getting stuck in your your desperation makes us change our process and desperation makes us go for those small fish or try to close on a trial or try to close on a freebie. And when we're doing that, we completely devalue not only ourselves and the value that we're selling in ourselves as a, as a sales professional, uh, but we're also devaluing the product and we're probably shooting ourselves in the foot as far as the average customer buy. Um, you know, you could go out and, you know, turn a perfectly good potential deal into a very small, small deal and actually hurt yourself um, by changing your process, not going through a full needs analysis, not having the right conversations and not going to market the way that you know you should. So I think the key piece is don't focus so much on that end result that you want. Don't focus so much on the, the big bonus or the trip or any of those types of things. I have always subscribed to the methodology, obsess over your process, obsess over people, if you obsess over the people and process, and I call it the sales food chain, whether it's, you know, it's whoever is next to you on the sales food chain, whether it's your customer or if you're a sales leader, it's your sales rep, uh, focus on and obsess over the people and the process, removing barriers. Um, if I'm a sales manager, I'm trying to remove every barrier I can. I'm going, you know, I'm riding along with that guy who is uh, right there on the cusp. And hopefully that guy right there on the cusp is asking the sales manager to be a part of the process there at the end. Um, you know, because I think the key piece is we get so focused on how we're paid and uh, we get so focused on that trip or the percent to goal. Frankly, if you obsess over the process, you'll never need to worry about any of those things. What do you think? Well, the problem with desperation is that it taps into something called the universal law of need. So if you get, if you start pushing, I love your point, you know, you, you end up taking a big deal and turn it into a little deal because you just need enough. It, when you start doing those things, it's, it, it shows. And, and you talked about focusing on people and process and people, especially because emotions are contagious. 
And if you're desperate, if you're pushing, if you need it so badly, people can feel that and, and, and they don't want to do business with you. And the universal law of need says the more that you need the deal, the less likely it is that you're going to get it. So if you're right on the bubble, the most important thing that you can do is take Carson's advice, focus on the process, focus on the people and focus on your confidence and enthusiasm. If you do the right things, you are going to hit your number. And if you do the right things, you may not hit your number. But if you get desperate and start pushing, it's guaranteed that you're probably going to fail and you're going to do a lot of damage to your relationships along the way. The the last group, um, this this group that has blown it. So they're going into fourth quarter and you know, maybe there's hope, but essentially there's no hope. I mean, they're scratching lottery tickets to be able to make it. And that's a really tough place to be. And it's easy at this point to give up. It's easy at this point to, to say, you know, I'm going to miss my big bonus this year, or I'm not going to my commission. And there's some of those folks that may be even afraid that if they stick around, you know, and don't make their number this quarter, that they may not have a job come January 1st. So what do you say to this group of people? What should they be doing? The focus is in sales. It's all about probability of success. And I, I mean that for every transaction, every call. And, and you're trying to basically push the sale farther and farther down the process with each contact. So I may get through to the gatekeeper, you know, get through the gatekeeper to the decision maker. I may get the decision maker to uh, accept the conversation, look at the proposal. Uh, and then, you know, obviously I'm asking questions and working toward a close. It all comes down to probability of success. Now, obviously up till now, that process has not worked for whatever reason. Now, there's a couple ways that this can happen. And, you know, we, we've kind of made the point earlier. I mean, they, these guys may have some pipeline and may have a viable shot of making it in Q4. They may not. And I, I think that's why it's paramount for us to always be able to look back at each transaction, each selling day, and know that we walked away from the conversation knowing either, you know, we either got the customer to buy or we understood why they didn't, or we understand where it is in the process. Because let's face it, a lot of this comes down to being very strategic with process, being very clear with the client as far as this is what we're in, you know, what we're endeavoring to do. This is the timeline that you, we are agreeing upon. Um, and if, if we're very clear in that, it gives us a better probability. Sure, stuff happens all the time. And I think that's where a lot of folks, um, they, where they start to get desperate is a deal slipped because a company got purchased or a deal slipped because budget just didn't end up being there or the client just went dark completely inexplicably. And then you've got to turn and tell your manager why you didn't get that deal done. And so I think the key piece is to the point that you've been making all along, Jeb, hang your hat on that process 100% because what through all of that, there is a probability that a lot of your deals will fall through. So have enough pipeline, have enough working, do enough prospecting that you give yourself the best probability at success. And if you're walking in here, you know, Q4 has just begun and you're walking in here and you're way behind the eight ball for the year, number one, it's probably time for a drastic change to process, but you need to you need to evolve your process to make sure that it gives you a better probability of success. Now, for some folks, this may mean that you need to go out and do something completely different in, in the way that you're going to market, maybe a totally different selling message that you need, maybe better questions that you're asking or what you're doing with the information that you get, but it probably means a change to your process. And a lot of times, frankly, it doesn't require a drastic change to your process process. Sometimes it just requires small tweaks and they can make a huge difference. But no matter what, if you're sitting behind the eight ball, walking into Q4, 
you need to change something. And I would strongly encourage you to look at where you're losing your client in the process, because that is the obstacle that you and your manager need to work together to make sure is removed. I think it's a great point. And I'd also suggest that maybe you want to go back and look at what happened during the rest of the, the earlier part of the year. My bet, and this is what happens to a lot of salespeople, especially salespeople in big quota sales, sales roles, I guess, if you want to say it that way, is that they blew the first half of their year. They blew it in January, they blew it in February, they blew it, blew it in March, and they blew it in April, and then they got desperate, and that rolled into the summertime. So what I would suggest doing is if you're behind the eight ball, go back and look at what you did in fourth quarter last year. Look at what happened to you in the first quarter and then make a decision to change what happened so that you don't repeat the mistakes that you made the year prior. The other thing I, I would suggest that you do is relax. Relax and do the right things. If you're in trouble of losing your job or missing a big bonus, or if you've lost the confidence of your sales leader, start doing the right things. Sit down with your sales leader, sit down with one of your senior reps and come up with a new plan. Demonstrate that you're making progress. Show the, your, your leader that you've learned from your mistakes so that you can earn the confidence back and make sure, make sure that you enter Q1 of 2018 with a full pipeline ready to rock and roll. Um, Carson, there's one other thing, one other point that I, I, I wanna make, and it just, you're, you know, we're talking about fourth quarter, but I had the, a sales leader just two weeks ago ask me, what should I be focusing on in fourth quarter? And my answer was first quarter of 2018. So I basically said, listen, don't worry about October, November, and December, because what is going to happen is going to happen. You should be focusing on February and March. And I'm wondering what your take on that is. I agree with that. I, you know, because a lot of the game has already been played. Uh, I think Sun Tzu said that, um, you know, frankly, you're, you're looking at a way of, um, you know, how can you best spend your time right now to impact future events? And a lot of the deals that are going to close right now, you've already set the groundwork for. So, of course, you need to make sure that you're still checking those boxes between now and then. Uh, they're still firm with timeline um, and that you're continuing to evolve your process. But that's nothing different than what you did in Q1, Q2, Q3, ideally. So um, not changing the process, not shifting what you're doing and still continuing to plant the seeds for future success. Because, you know, we made the point earlier that if you if you rest on your laurels now, your Q1 is going to be empty from a pipeline perspective. So I couldn't agree more. Um, you do want to continue to focus on what's here and now and checking those boxes and keeping up with timelines. Um, and, and there are some good tips as far as how you may be able to get some deals here at the end of the year. But a lot of that has already been played. The game has been played. You're there at the end. You've set that foundation. Um, but I love the, the idea of setting the foundation for next year. Awesome. Very good. This is a great message for salespeople. I know our audience is going to dig that. Now I've got a couple of personal questions for you. Sure. Shoot. Put you on the spot. So you're, you're, man, you've got a corporate job. I mean, I, I spent, you know, 20 years in big corporations. I was a head of sales and I, you know, I lived in that world, but you live in that world and you're writing books. And that's, a, that's sort of an odd combination because 
be honest with you, a lot of big companies don't want their people writing books and you've got a big job to do and a lot of responsibility. And a lot of people are probably asking, how do you have time to write books? So talk to me about why, why the interest in writing and how you've been able to make that work with your bosses and the people in your organization and how Microsoft feels about that. And clearly they feel good about it because you're on this with me and just the passion for writing and why it makes you happy. That's a fair question. I, I love the question and the thought process there. You know, it's frankly it, it, finding the time is very um, is very challenging. And as you know, I mean, you you've written books and you can understand the the investment of time that goes into that. So uh, I, I think one of the key pieces for me is making sure that I have my priorities aligned. For, you know, writing is something that. Um, you invest a little bit of time in when you can, and eventually you have a body of work. And of course, it needs a lot of editing and polish, but um, a lot of it is just journaling, especially when you're writing about sales and sales leadership. It's, it's writing lessons and hoping that the knowledge that you've gleaned can help somebody else. Um, those are things that I can scratch on the side of a napkin or, or now, thanks to technology, I can put in the memo app on my phone uh, so that I can utilize it later. You know, these have been things that I've put together, these three books over the last 10 years. So um, some of the times have been, I, you know, I've been in most of my time has been in corporate gigs, but um, I've had some entrepreneurial ventures as well. And um, you know, I've had some time where I, I have had more time on my hands to write. Uh, that is to, now is not one of those times. Uh, so I'm very 100% focused on my, my role with Microsoft, but, um, and, and very blessed to work for a company that appreciates uh, a very diverse background and people that have done a, a variety of different things. Um, because I think that the, uh, the writing, that I've done has definitely helped me get noticed for certain things um, and has definitely helped, uh, you know, my, my perspective. Plus, I, I look back and I realize a lot of the perspectives that I had when I wrote my first book have evolved substantially. So um, I, I embrace that and I've learned a lot more here uh, and then over the last couple of years of selling than I've probably ever learned in my career. So I, I think a lot of that as salespeople and as writers is to always be open-minded to the new opportunities, uh, what's to come. And I would feel remiss not to journal that in some way. And it's just, it's my goal that if it's able to uh, help somebody, um, I'm, I'm all for that. So uh, that's, that's kind of been my thoughts on it. But um, yeah, it's overwhelmingly, uh, people have been very receptive here about, um, you know, the, uh, the contributions that I've tried to make from a sales standpoint. I, I think it's fantastic. And I think your leadership at Microsoft are smart to have you on board. I mean, you're an asset to the organization. You're providing additional content. It makes you think, I mean, when I'm writing books about selling, I become better at selling. I mean, you yeah. just, because of the, of the, the effort that you have to put into it. The, the next question I have for you is, is what drove you to, to write? I mean, why did you wake up one day and feel compelled? And I asked this question from the place I've written eight books. I'm, I've got three more coming out next year. And there's a line of people in front of me everywhere I go. Oh, I, I'm, I'm going to write a book. I'm planning on writing a book. I'm, I'm thinking about writing a book. And I'm sure you've heard the same things. As soon as you become offered, there's a million people. But people just think and think and think and think about it and don't actually do it. And you no. actually did it. Some people get started on it. And then three months later, you never hear anything about it again. And I think that's sad. I think it's, it's, it, it's a lot of the same reasons that we lose sight of our goals in selling and in our careers. Um, you know, you, 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 
I start a diet, for instance, and I or a, a workout regimen, for instance, and I, you know, I'm really gung ho about it for a couple of weeks, and then it kind of tapers off. And it's it's what we do to challenge ourselves after that that determines our success. Uh, as far as writing, you know, I was writing stories when I was in third grade about the kids in my class, and I go into outer space. I've always wanted to write. Uh, I got into I worked for AT and T for nine years, and I was in uh, multiple levels of sales management, and uh, you know. I found myself writing for a company newsletter. I enjoyed sales. I never knew that I would uh, enjoy sales like I did. And so it was just kind of a natural fit. And um, there's so many sales books out there, so many good sales books out there and good sales leadership books out there. I wanted to do something unique. So I actually created a fictional character uh, and it's a book inside of a book. So it's a sales book written by a fictional character within a novel. And it tells stories about how he learns a lot of the sales books level lessons that he imparts. Um, so it, it, it was fun. It, it was really fun for me because I was able to take some liberties on things that I've seen in my corporate career and uh, some of the entrepreneurial things that I've done. It's, uh, you know, what a ride. I mean, we look back at our sales careers and it, it would be easy to fill a book with a lot of these stories. I encourage people that want to write, just write something every day. Um, even if it is scratching it on a napkin or writing an idea on your app on your phone, um, you know, just write something every day. I've had situations where I was halfway done with a book and I was like, there's no way I'll finish this. I get so frustrated with myself. Um, but just continue to write, continue to work toward it because guess what? Eventually it will be finished. I love that. That's fantastic advice. And I've heard that advice given by great authors everywhere, right? A little bit every single day. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, it's impressive. And I, I love the fact that you, that you did it. And as an author, and I love writing, I love what I do. It's uh, this book behind me, Sales EQ, almost killed me. It took, uh, it took about a year and about 400 research papers of work to write this book. But the one thing that I found is that when I write sales books, I write them for me. I write the book that I would want to, to read. And it sounds like through your work, and I'm, I'm always in, in awe of people that can write fictional stories like that because I'm, I'm trying to write a novel. I'm that guy standing in front of a novelist going, I'm really working on my novel. But I just, I, I love the fact that you've been able to do that. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I, I, it's, a, it's the best advice in the world, just write. And by the way, get prepared to hustle because yep. books do not sell themselves. You could write a book all day long and it is not going to sell. It's just, it's just not a field of dreams. Um, one more question for you. And it's a question that I ask a lot of people. I've got a son who's 19 years old. He's a good kid, plays sports in college, makes good grades. If my son came to you and said, uh, Carson, can you give me some advice? What should I be doing you know, over the next two or three years? What should I be doing right now to get ready for, for my life? Looking back on your own life, what advice would you give him? Meet as many people as you can and be as open-minded to ideas and where your career is going to take you as humanly possible. Um, you know, when I started out in my career, I had no idea where I would be at this point. Um, you know, I had a certain ideal of what things would pan out to be, and it didn't work that way. It never does. Life never does. Um, so I think it's just be as open as possible, but you are your network, and you are as strong as your network. And um, I, I, so I think the key piece is look for as many ways as possible to get outside of your comfort zone, um, because that is what's going to truly determine your success. And look for ways to add value. Everybody has intrinsic value that they can bring to the table. Uh, look for as many ways, no matter where you are, how can I add value to this equation? Um, so many people out there are me, 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 me. How can I get this? How can I get this job? How can I get somebody to do something for me? But I, I firmly believe that, and it's, it's inherent in sales philosophies. You know, we've talked about this. 
in essence, my answer to you is prospecting and planting seeds for future success. Like we've talked about this conversation, because that's really what we're doing. We're ourself. We are the product. We are the service. We're ultimately trying to uh, sell ourselves into these uh, different engagements and, um, you know, find the people that are going to really help us along the way. But I will tell you, you know, the biggest thing for me has been never shutting my, uh, my open-mindedness off to learning because, you know, I, I echo what I said earlier, as far as I've learned more about selling and sales leadership in the last couple of years than I knew when I wrote my first two books. So, you know, the, the learning never stops. And uh, I think embrace that find, you know, find as many people as you can meet everybody you can, uh, because you just never know where those relationships will pan out and then add value wherever you can. Carson, Carson Hetty, you are awesome. I love this interview. It was so much fun spending time with you. Let's do a couple of things. Tell us the names of your three books again, sure. and then tell people how they can get in touch with you or interact with, with you or get more of your content. Yeah, I would love that. So book number one is right here, my baby, Birth of a Salesman. My second book is uh, Salesman Against the World. And my last one was A Salesman Forever. Um, I'm all over LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, you can literally search me by name, Carson Hetty, H-E-A-D-Y. And then I'm C-V as in Vincent Hetty, H-E-A-D-Y, 007. Huge James Bond fan on Twitter. So uh, I'm also on YouTube and uh, also on Facebook. So hit me up on social media and I've got a WordPress blog, which serves as my website. Carson, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure that you go and pick up Carson's books and connect with him on LinkedIn and Twitter. And you can catch me on Twitter at SalesGravy, on Instagram at SalesGravy, on Facebook at SalesGravy. You can find me on LinkedIn and make sure you check out our YouTube channel.